0: It is good to be back up here. Uh, many of you, I see your faces and I never met you before and that's great. Uh, as Pastor Michael uh, said he, uh, earlier that um, my wife and I, we've been part of uh, the 180 really from the beginning. We we started uh, attending the 180 back in 2016 and it's been amazing to see how God's been just working uh, in this community and and reaching people and seeing different people come, and and, uh, and I've never seen many of you before, which is really awesome. That's how it should be, right? Yeah, good. And a few months ago, Pastor Dom and I, uh, chat, we, we chatted, and he was like, you know, uh, Mateo, it would be great if we could get you, you know, on stage, you know, and, and get you preaching. And I said, sure. Uh, you know, is there a sermon series or a topic that you you know you want me to talk on, and and he said uh, he said well in the summer uh, we're going to be uh, talking about maturity and we're going to be looking at the fruit of the spirit and I really don't want to talk about patience, so here I am, um, yeah uh, you could uh, pray for your pastors of course uh, we all need it don't we uh, so we've been in the series this summer on on maturity and the fruit of the spirit and uh, you know. As we've been looking at this passage in Galatians, kind of been the anchor passage um, in the book of Galatians, we're kind of given this picture of the spiritual life, really, what it means to be spiritual, and when you think about it in your everyday life, when you hear, hear the word spiritual or, you know, spirituality or to be a spiritual person, what comes to mind for you? I think most of the time when you talk to a person about, you know, what it means to be spiritual or what is spirituality, uh, you know, people think about the supernatural world, right? The invisible world, the unseen world, usually something that's kind of abstract and disconnected from the physical realities that we all live in. Now, for other people, spirituality is only concerned with, you know, religious-type practices like, you know, if I pray a lot, then I'm spiritual, or, you know, if I sing loudly in church, then I'm spiritual. For me, uh, you know, I attended a, a Pentecostal Bible college many, many years ago, and, and in that uh, kind of atmosphere, in that culture, one of the things that was a mark of true spirituality was the, the gifts of the Spirit. So, you know, if you speak in tongues, maybe you've never heard of this, but uh, for, for these people, speaking in tongues was a sign of true spirituality. If you prayed for miracles, then you're really spiritual. And and yet, we find something a little bit different when we learn about the fruit of the Spirit. And so the the verse is going to be right behind me in Galatians 5.22. And it says this, The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, think about it, when you, in your everyday life, when you think of the word, you hear the word spiritual or spirituality, is this what you think about? It seems to me that it's not just spirituality, at least in the Bible, it's not just concerned with the supernatural, although sometimes it could be. It's not just concerned with religious practices, although sometimes it is. But the heart of spirituality in scripture has everything to do with our everyday lives. It's concerned with relationships, with people, places, things. Kindness is not something you just are with, you know, with God. It happens in community. It happens in relationship. It happens with the people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis, the people we work with, the people we live with. Your boss, your kids, your wife, your husband, your friends, your neighbors, maybe your employees. And sometimes when we think of it this way, we realize, I would prefer a spirituality that is the other kind, right? Disconnected from the world, just between me and Jesus. Disconnected from my work, so that I don't really have to think about my neighbors, or I don't have to think about how I treat my employees. Can't I just be nice in church? Wouldn't that just be easier? Can't that just be spirituality? Now, to be sure, one of the things that we talk about often here at the 180 is that as we gather, there's something special about Sundays. That's why we encourage you to keep Sunday special. Because as we gather and we do these different things, as we serve one another, as we sing, as we learn, it's all part of this, this, this thing we call worship. And as we worship, that becomes kind of like the heartbeat, the center of the spiritual life. It nourishes the spiritual life but not just for us, for the sake of the world. And so when we consider what it means to be spiritual, we should be thinking about our workplaces, about our families, about our friends. We should be thinking about our lives, not just on Sundays, but Mondays to Saturdays. Because the spiritual life, according to the Bible, is totally and wholly concerned with your everyday life. So when we talk about patience, we think about your, let's, let's think about our week. I mean, this week, my guess is that this week, something or someone tested your patience. What tested your patience this week? What tests your patience often, all the time? What's that thing that bothers you? Test, maybe it's traffic. Anybody? Traffic? Yeah, okay, good. Traffic. And now that everybody's working remotely, you're even more angry, right? Maybe for some of you, it's just, People who drive really badly, I'm fine with traffic, but traffic with a crying, screaming baby, that really tests my patience. Uh, honestly, if, if, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and Maybe for some of you, it's something your wife or your husband does. There's just this habit they have, and it just tests your patience. It was cute when you were dating. You know that thing? Yeah. Maybe there's a person in your life who tests your patience, maybe you're in a season right now, just your patience is being tested. So what happens to you when your patience is tested, when you run out of patience? What is it, what do you do? I mean, people are different, everybody acts, reacts differently. Some people's reactions are loud and very evident, and other people's reactions are a little bit uh, quieter, right? But it always comes out. For me, I grew up in a uh, Italian kind of culture, and so if my parents were, we, we tested their patients a little bit too much, it was clear. I didn't have to second guess. Uh, it was very evident. And I, I'm similar. I'm similar in that way. I would consider myself a quieter Italian. Uh, but compared to my, <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Uh, <laughs> compared to my wife who, um, oh, she's not here, okay, good. Uh, Compared to my wife, you know, she comes from a, a quieter family, a quieter background. So when, when her patience is tested, it's almost like it's, it's quiet, but there's this ominous presence. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? And if we both ran out of patience, she's got that ominous presence. And, and if I'm out of patience, I will call her out on it. And I don't recommend that. I I don't recommend doing that, Uh, and you know, I I just say, you know, wait maybe a week, then maybe bring it up, feel it out. We all have been in situations where we lose our patience, and uh, and when that happens, something else starts to emerge, right? Maybe we feel victimized, Uh, maybe we feel we start to behave uh, irritably. We start to force the outcome, force an outcome. Maybe we manipulate, we become passive-aggressive, or or maybe we run away or or numb the discomfort. These are very common reactions when our patience gets tested only to make us feel more alienated than we did before. The world uh, over the last year and a half has collectively, globally, had to be patient together. Right? Uh, We've been in this pandemic and we're waiting and waiting. When will things go back to normal? When can I see my friends again? When, when, when? How are we doing as a species when it comes to patience? What has emerged? What has come out as people have maybe lost their patience? You know, in general, people have agreed that patience is a good thing. We say things like patience is a virtue. You've heard that before, I'm sure. That it's, it's a good thing, it's a noble thing to be patient, to teach our kids patience, to model it for them. But I find that usually when we say something like patience is virtue, we're usually saying it to someone else, right? Or when I say, patience is a virtue, what I really mean is I, I, I have no other options. I, I'm stuck. Like I can't control the situation. I can't change the situation. So patience is a virtue and I feel better. But do we really believe that there's any value to patience? I mean if I don't have to wait, if, if things don't have to be slow, why should I learn to be patient? Why? You know, uh, many of you who know me know I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to tech, technology, all that stuff. Um, I, I need to say something about technology. And, and, and you know I love gadgets and, and uh, apps and all that fun stuff. And you know I work in the technology field, so you know this, where I, where I create software, and I, part of what I do is I get to think a lot about how technology is shaping our world, and how it's shaping us and oftentimes in ways that we don't always know or see or realize. You know, uh, we, we only realized later that you probably shouldn't give, you know, little kids iPads for too long, right, because it's going to affect our attention span. Recently, we realized that there's this thing called blue light, which is going to affect your sleep, uh, and so there's all these, uh, we're, we're, we're slowly learning. But some things we don't always realize is happening to us. Uh, maybe you've heard, uh, there's been these news uh, articles, these allegations against a certain company. Uh, you've probably heard of it, it's in the next slide. Uh, Apple, Apple uh, uh, it's a technology company, and they make certain devices, and Apple has been, uh, basically there's these allegations that Apple has uh, um, admitted to, and they have to, make, they have to pay some pretty big fines, that they were purposely slowing down iPhones. Now, you've probably have experienced this, right? Uh, they were forcing, this is what they, what they were doing, is they were forcing iPhone users to download new software, which in turn, which would, would make the, uh, the phone slower, and force users to do what? Get a new phone, right? So all the iPhone 4 users in the room, you're the true spiritual heroes. You really, you really are. <laughs> I don't know. I, for me, like, if it takes me more than a second to get to a website, I'm, it's broken. It's for sure, right? I need, a new, I need a new phone. I need to upgrade, right? Slow is bad. Slow means broken. Slow means old. It means you need an upgrade. Now, what happens when we start to apply this expectation to our relationships, to our friendships, to our family, to our church, I know people try this all the time, you cannot upgrade your brother, you you cannot upgrade your kids, you cannot upgrade your parents, you cannot upgrade your friends. Notice how I didn't say wife, no I'm just, (laughs) bad joke. You you cannot upgrade your wife, you cannot upgrade your church. People try to do this all the time only to be dissatisfied and disappointed, why? Because there's certain things in life that in order to fully enjoy, in order to fully appreciate, they require patience, patience. But let's be honest, many things in life are better when they're faster, right? I mean, let's be honest, when you go to the hospital, when you call 911, you're dealing with doctors, you're dealing with your health, fast is a good thing much of the technological innovation uh, that has made the world faster has also made the world better. More people have faster and greater access to food and, and trade and healthcare and education and hygiene. I mean, we take it for granted, but just a hundred years ago, you could not travel the way we travel. You cannot communicate the way we communicate. You cannot learn the way we learn. Imagine going through a pandemic without some of these tools that have helped us, the school system, churches would have closed. Many churches would have closed. Fast is not always a bad thing. Sometimes fast, sometimes new, upgrades makes the world better. Yet, we must be very attentive about how a culture of speed, devices and upgrades and one-day shipping is actually shaping what kind of people we're becoming. You know one author once put it this way: he said, "We create the tools, and the, then the tools create us." This has kind of been true historically, of human culture. as we've invented tools that have helped us, they've also shaped us. They've shaped our cultures, our habits, our ways of thinking, our ways of relating to one another, our ways of being in the world. And for Christians, this matters deeply. Now for some Christians, the easy answer is: to escape, to reject to somehow suggest that this technology is really just a force of evil, and they tweet about it on their newest devices. right? What we're talking about here is maturity, being in the world without being of the world. So we need to think carefully about how how is this expectation of speed and instant gratification, the rejection of the slow, how is it shaping you? How is it shaping your character? How is it shaping your relationships? How is it it shaping the way you parent? The way you relate to people? How is it shaping the way we pray? You know, I was thinking a lot about this and about how a culture that rejects patience uh, has penetrated the life of the church in general. And I think, you know, what about prayer? What about prayer? You know, prayer is slow. Prayer requires patience. There is no app that makes prayer go faster. There is no five steps that makes prayer go faster. Now, there are apps that could remind you to pray, right, your your alarm clock maybe. And and Christians, by the way, have been doing this for centuries. Uh, If you've ever noticed uh, like a bell on top of a church, right, that's using technology to help us in some ways to learn to be reminded to pray But it won't make prayer work faster. Prayer is a slow process. This is why throughout the Bible, we're invited to wait patiently for the Lord. The the book, the Psalms, is a a collection of prayers. It's the church's really first prayer book. And, uh, you know, Psalm 27, 14 uh, says it this way about waiting patiently. He says, wait patiently for the Lord, be brave and courageous, yes, wait patiently for the Lord. There's, a, there's something about prayer that requires waiting, requires patience. It's slow. You know, I, I'm, I've heard this a lot, especially on social media and some other friends of mine who talk about having a prayer of faith. Maybe you've heard this, a prayer of faith. And, and you know, what they mean by that, it, it seems, is that when, when you pray with the right tone, and the right attitude and the right words that God will somehow pick up the pace. And yet we're invited over and over and over to learn what it means to wait patiently for the Lord. And that prayer cannot be reduced to an instant process. And if we have the same expectations of God and prayer as we have our internet speed, we will be greatly dissatisfied and might even start to wonder if it's real. I mean, I I think about my own times in my own life where I, I went through a season where I just wasn't praying. Maybe you could think of times where you're just not praying. And when I look back, I realize in those times, the pace of life was too fast. It was too hard to slow down. What does it look like for you to pray? What does it look like for you to wait patiently for the Lord? It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. It is hard. You know, I often feel this way uh, about reading the Bible when it comes to reading the Bible. uh, You know, uh, a little while ago, the 180 was doing a a study on, on how to read the Bible. All right, and so many of you, you know, just starting to learn what it means to read the Bible. And, you know, you start off and it could be very exciting and and then but over time what you realize I can't just keep going back to my favorite verses, right? And what we learn is that the more we study the Bible, years and years and years, the more you realize uh oh, there's so much that I don't know. There's so much that I don't understand. And for a lot of people, this is discouraging, right? This dissuades us from even reading, picking up the Bible because it's complex. There's history and there's theology, and there's culture, and I just don't get it. And this is why the Bible will often invite us to meditate on Scripture. You know, the Bible is not surprised that it's sometimes hard to read. It even says this in the Bible, that there is a certain complexity to it, and yet we're invited to meditate on Scripture, to meditate. And if you know anything about meditation right now, it's kind of like a, a buzzword uh, everybody's kind of talking about meditation. There's all these meditation apps. Uh, and, and if you know anything about meditation, it's really all about slowing down. There is no such thing as fast meditation. It's a slow, slow process. Now, I, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I feel like I don't have time for that, right? Wouldn't it just be nice if I could just read my Bible and get a, a quick, just a quick verse that's relatable In every area of my life just super practical right but most of the time that's not that's not the case right I I read the Bible and I'm like more confused than ever we're invited to meditate slow down slow down another way that the church in general uh, as a whole has been impacted by this culture of of impatience is is evangelism Uh, and, and and When I say evangelism, if you're thinking about a guy on a TV with a colorful suit and a wife with big hair who wants your money, that's televangelism. That's not what we're talking about. Evangelism uh, in its basic form is about sharing with people or a person about Jesus, about your faith, about your own kind of journey of faith. And there's so many different ways you could do this. You could do this through technology. You could do this through art. You could do this through your work. And most of the time, it's a patient, slow process. And yet what I often see when people talk about evangelism, even for me growing up in the church, the kind of evangelism that I I saw was a kind of impatient evangelism. Rather than being part of the heartbeat and fabric of the church itself, impatient evangelism becomes kind of event-focused, it's a special two-hour thing where a guy that you've never met gives you a sort of, you know, sales pitch and then you get a chance to respond and your eternal fate is decided on this response and there's no opportunity for questions, you can't raise your hand, don't, don't, don't do that, you can't raise your hand, you can't ask questions, it's kind of a now or never, impatient evangelism. And so, for me, growing up, we would have these, like, special events where that was, like, evangelism, where we'd have these things called outreaches. Outreaches, or the the best thing was uh, Bring a Friend Sunday, as if all the other Sundays you you shouldn't bring a friend. (laughs) And then, of course, on Bring a Friend Sunday, it's going to be great, you better come, because on Bring a Friend Sunday, you could wear jeans. I swear, I'm not making this up. This is a real thing. We'd all talk about how the pastor's gonna wear jeans on Bring a Friend Sunday. I was like, what? So rather than being a p- part of the heartbeat and fabric of the church, evangelism is something that we do once in a while. It becomes impatient, something that you put on rather than something that, that is part of who you are. Now, there is a, a sense, there's, a, there's a certain urgency in, in the Bible that is emphasized when it comes to evangelism, but it's a sort of patient urgency. You know, uh, in the book of James, James says it this way. He says, "Understand this, dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry." Imagine if this was the guiding verse whenever we thought about evangelism: slow to speak, slow to get angry, quick to listen. And you so often, you know, we see, we hear of these maybe debates that Christians like to get into, where people get angry. They speak over each other. They get defensive, right? It's no longer concerned about Jesus. It's concerned about being right. But the kind of evangelism that we're invited to in Scripture is a slow evangelism. It's relational. Now, there are uh, exceptions to this. There, There are, we might find ourselves in a situation where, you know, you meet someone and very quickly that conversation is headed in that direction and you feel compelled to talk and have that conversation about faith or about Jesus. Maybe you've been in that situation, but this is an exception, not a rule. Patient evangelism is a process that could take weeks. It could take months. It could take years of small talk of having dinner together, of inviting someone into your home, of just being a friend, being a support, having lots of patience, of waiting in prayer, waiting in the unknown, conversations with people who are wrestling with doubt, walking with people who are wrestling with hurt and baggage that maybe had, uh, came from the church in the first place. That's hard work. That takes patience. And so, we might revert to an impatient evangelism and not see people as real people with real struggles and real questions, but as numbers. You know, there was a book written a little while ago on the patience of the early church and, and how you know, this patience really shaped uh, just the, 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 how, how they evangelized. And you'll see the quote behind me, it's from a book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, The Improbable Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. And the author puts it this way, he says, Christians were growing in numbers because they were distinct from the unjust, living patiently in relation to their neighbors and enemies, doing good to them and waiting for them to come to faith. There's nothing frantic about this. They were faithful, they were just good to their neighbors, to their enemies. They were patient and just trusted that God would work. Imagine if more Christians in in this city, in this province, when they thought of evangelism, they thought of this slow process that requires lots of time and patience, not event-driven, but life-on-life, community-driven, and perhaps a society that is marked by skepticism and hurt and pain when it comes to religion, that maybe more more people would be interested, more people would be curious. I know that there are some people sitting in this room because someone was patient with you. Someone said, it's okay, why don't you come? Come and see. Just come and see. You don't have to have it all together. That's patient evangelism. So how has this culture of, of speed and, and the instant penetrated your own expectation of God, of, uh, of prayer, of the Bible, of faith? Uh, what about relationships? Well, relationships is such a key concern for Paul who wrote this letter to, uh, to the Galatian church. You know, the fruit of the Spirit passage is uh, written to this church in a place called Galatia. And right before Paul gets to this passage where he lists the fruit of the Spirit, he gives us a kind of window into the community, this church. And this is what he says. He says this. He says, For the entire law, it's referring to the Torah, the Old Testament law, the entire law, how much of the law? Some of the law. A part of the law. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. We get this picture in the church, of the church in Galatia. They've got some serious relational problems. And so Paul says, he gives us this, this metaphor of these wild animals, right, uh, fighting, right, biting and hurting each other. And he says, if you're not careful, this community is going to fall apart. It's going to be destroyed. The relationships that you have are going to be destroyed. The church could fall apart. This is a serious warning. And if you look really in the, the context of the Galatian church, he talks about the law, the Torah, because he says, you know, you guys are, are arguing and fighting about the law. About who's in and who's out, who's right, who's wrong. And he says, Listen, there are hundreds of laws in the Old Testament 613. I checked, no, I Googled it. But only one command in the New Testament, and it fulfills all of the Old Testament ones. People think there's no commands in the New Testament, there's one, and it fulfills everything in the old testament love love your neighbor as yourself the way jesus said it to his disciples a new command i give to you love one another as i have loved you doesn't matter who's in doesn't matter who's out don't it doesn't matter how spiritual you think you are if you don't have love paul will say you are nothing See, the fruit of the Spirit is not just a list of characteristics that you know we check off a list to make God happy because he just made up this list. No, it exists to serve love. They're essential to relationships. And that's, in fact, one of the benefits of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, which is, remember, a gift that Jesus offers us, is that we begin to experience more satisfying and flourishing relationships. In a world marked by speed and instant gratification, Jesus reminds us that some of the most fulfilling and gratifying things in life require a special patience that only Jesus can offer. You know, one of the famous sections in the Bible uh, is known as the love chapter, and I just alluded to it. And it's a part of the Bible we often hear at weddings. And it's from 1 Corinthians 13. And this, Paul, you know, is, is kind of describing, giving us a list of what is love. And, um, and the first thing, the first thing he says is what? Love is patient. It's patient. Love requires patience. In order to experience love, we need patience. In order to experience being loved, we need patience sometimes. In order to love another person well, we need patience. See, like the Galatian church, the Corinthian church was concerned about spiritual gifts, about who has the gift of faith. Who has the gift of prayers? Who has the gift of of, of generosity, of service, of teaching? You can have all the gifts in the world, but if you do not have love, you are a clanging symbol. You are nothing, and love is patient. We live in a world that kind of glamorizes this idea that true love stories are love at first sight stories, right? These are the stories that we grew up with, the stories that sell uh, we love these stories, and we're taught from a young age that not only are they beautiful stories, but they're desirable. And so when we start to have that expectation, we get upset, we get disappointed, something's wrong. Why, why does love take so long? We love love at first sight, and yet there's a kind of love that is experienced only through patience. Patience. And by the way, this this is not just about romantic love. Of course, the church, Paul is speaking to the church about learning to love one another. This has also to do with friendships. The most fulfilling friendships. Take patience. Take time. Are slow. You know, this is a a special kind of patience that is modeled to us uh, by Jesus himself. You know, we often talk about god as you know loving and good and faithful and uh and and we rarely really stop and think about how god is patient you know i'm so glad that we sang us the song this morning everlasting god that he does not grow weary that god is patient he's patient and over and over in the bible we're reminded that god is patient with us in ways that we don't even really realize Uh, Peter is going to say it this way. He says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient with us. God is really good at waiting. You know what that means? It means that a, a patient God means that God does not control everything. He doesn't. If he had to control everything, he didn't have to wait for anything. Instead, he doesn't. Now, we often say things like, you know, God, you know, controls everything. And if we, what we mean by that, what we mean is, you know, whatever's going on in my life, that God is faithful and he can make all things new, then that's great. But if we mean that God is controlling everything, that's a problem. Because then a controlling God doesn't need patience. He just does whatever he wants and never has to wait for anyone or anything. Instead, God is not described as a controller but as a redeemer. And that's much better news. See, to redeem something is to take something that everybody views as worthless and hopeless and give it dignity and value and purpose. See, this is part of the good news, that he takes the very things that everybody views as ugly and makes them beautiful. One of the words we use for that at the 180 is a 180. Right? You could... You could love him, you could hate him, you could come close to him or run away from him and nothing can change the way he sees you, what he believes he can do in you. That's a redeemer, not a controller. You know, uh, last Sunday, Pastor Michael mentioned the story, told us a story about the prodigal son, the son who wants to leave his father. And uh, it's a story that Jesus tells. And the son says, you know, I just want my share of the estate, I want to go. And you know what the father does? Well, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't control the situation. He doesn't manipulate his son. He doesn't make him feel guilty. He doesn't say some passive-aggressive comment. He says, all right, you can go. Here you go. And you know what he does? He patiently waits. He patiently waits with expectation. And we know this because when he sees the son far off, I mean, imagine, the picture of, of the father is that he's looking out the window. He's waiting for his son. He's waiting patiently. And when the son finally comes and he meets him, the son has this low view of himself, right? He's like, I'm just going to be your servant. And the father says, no, no, no. You were dead and now you're alive again. It's not controlling, but it's redeeming. It's redeeming. You know, as Christians, we could sometimes uh, very easily become a little bit judgmental, right? We see people, we look at them, we 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 judge, we look at their past mistakes, we put, uh, we look at their behavior, we say, you know what? There's no there's no hope for that person. There's no I have no patience for that person. They're not growing. I have no patience for those people, for that group of people. And Jesus says, I do. I have patience. I have God does not lose patience with the people who seem hopeless, with situations that seem broken beyond repair. For all the people, friends, who've lost patience with us, God has not. You know, this was so essential to Paul's very story. You know, Paul, who wrote this you know, about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, he was a persecutor of Christians. He was violent. You know, Christians were afraid of Paul, and he was the kind of person on the surface, at least, was the least likely person to become a Christian. And this is how he says it. This is how he talks about it in 1 Timothy. He says this, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and have eternal life. This immense patience for us as an example. You know, other translations say uh, an immeasurable patience. There's no number to this patience. You cannot quantify it. You cannot put a limit to it. He is immeasurably, immensely patient with you and with me. If you're here, it's because God was patient with you at some point. And this is essential to God's redemption, is his patience. He's really good at waiting. See, it's the kind of patience we're invited to experience as we mature uh, is a kind of patience that believes in the redemptive power of God. That God can tra- transform anyone. And you know what? We live today in a world that believes, filled with people, that believe that people don't change, right? Most people believe people don't change. People can't be changed. And if we find dirt on you from 20 years ago, we will publicly flog you. Like, it's, that's what people believe that people don't change. Not so for Christians. What we believe is that God can transform and change anyone. Paul says, the worst of sinners. The worst of sinners. For an example, as an example for us, see the foundation of our patience for the people in our lives is God himself. Let me ask you, when when did you stop believing in God's redemptive power to change the worst of sinners. My assumption is that when you stop believing in that, your patience started to wane. There are likely people in our lives right now who need us to have that sort of patience with them. It's a patience that we're offered. It's, it's, it's not just for us. It's, for, it's, it's to be a gift for others, to be a blessing for the people in our lives. What's at stake is the impact that we will have on the people that we are patient with or impatient with. I think of my own kids. My level of patience has a direct connection to their well-being, to their flourishing. You know, I just think the small everyday things. If I'm too impatient with them to wait for them to tie their shoes, I will tie their shoes and they will never learn to tie their shoes. I need to slow down enough for them to grow healthy and mature I need to be that patient presence in their life. The patience that we embody in our lives will have a direct impact on the people around us. Who is it in your life right now you need to be patient with? This might be helpful to think of a time in your life when someone was patient with you. What was that like? What was that like? Or maybe there was a time in your life where you just needed someone to be patient with you. And there was no one. I, uh, I, would, uh, I would assume, I guess, I, I bet that there are people we all know who should be sitting in this room today, but they're not because people who should have shown patience chose not to. That patient presence in their life that could be everything for them. Now, it doesn't mean that it's gonna be easy, and in, in fact, it's, it's very painful to Be patient in this way, and, and many of the Bible translations will translate patience as, as long suffering, as forbearance. Right? It's a picture of carrying a burden. It's not just about being able to wait, right, in line at the McDonald's drive through. That's not what we're talking about here. It's about a, the, a part, of the, part of it is painful. It's a pain of waiting. Now, don't get me wrong, this is, doesn't mean we should never set boundaries in our relationships, we should never become a doormat. That's not what we're talking about. Sometimes the most loving thing to do in a relationship is to set very strict boundaries. But there's a special kind of patience that Jesus calls us to that is painful. It's a burden for us, but it's a lifeline for them. I bet if I were to ask some of the seasoned married couples in the room that there were times of long suffering and you wondered if you were going make to th- make it through and now your love is stronger than it was before something about patience that Jesus offers that makes that love more satisfying, more fulfilling than ever. Maybe you're in a season of waiting right now. Maybe it's in a relationship, family member, son, daughter, husband, wife, acquaintance, a co-worker, or maybe it's just a season in your life where you're just waiting and your patience is being tested. You don't know if you're going to make it. What would it look like for you this morning, this week, to receive the patience that Jesus wants to offer you? To remember the redemptive power of Jesus to bring any situation, any person, any relationship from death to life. That, friends, is the source of our patience. Would you stand with me and we're going to pray. God, we are so grateful for the reminder that you are patient with us. We think of Jesus who was, he was tired. He had times where he was bothered and interrupted and offended and inconvenienced and suffered, but never impatient, never in a hurry, never in a rush. We thank you, God, that you are willing today to meet us where we are, to remind us that you are patient with us, And not only are you patient with us, but you're willing to give us this this gift of patience. This gift of patience that could impact the people in our lives in ways that we don't always realize, in ways that we don't always understand. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to guide us as we go on in our weeks, as we consider the ways that you want us to experience your patience, your love. You want our relationships to flourish. Help us, Lord, to have the wisdom to know how to receive the gift of patience. We thank you. In Jesus' name.